to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. One Championship is a celebration of Asia's greatest cultural treasure and its deep-rooted Asian values of integrity, humility, honour, respect, courage, discipline and compassion. Their mission is to unleash real-life superheroes who ignite the world with hope, dreams, inspiration and strength. The One Athlete roster has over 140 world champions out of more than 550 athletes across various martial arts disciplines, making it the largest collection of world champions of any organization on the planet. In fact, the vast majority of the greatest world champions in history have had to conquer unbelievable poverty, tremendous adversity, unspeakable tragedy, and impossible odds to achieve their dreams in life. And one championship want to introduce these superheroes to the world so that they may inspire billions to dream more, do more, and be more in life. Through the power of media, the magic of storytelling, and the beauty of their heroes, one knows that they have a precious opportunity to celebrate values, ignite dreams, inspire nations, and change the world. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds awesome and certainly something very attractive for brands to be part of. It has been an impressive rise, to say the least, for the Singapore-based One Championship, having launched in 2011 and reaching their 100th event inside eight years. It has seen them grow to be Asia's largest global sports media property in history, with a global broadcast reach of 2.7 billion potential viewers across more than 150 countries. As the world's largest martial arts organization, one has achieved some of the highest TV ratings and social media engagement metrics across Asia. With a focus on both martial arts and esports, One Championship is Asia's largest global producer of live sports content for youth and millennials. And that success on a commercial front attracts a coveted client roster of blue chip Fortune 500 sponsors and advertisers, including the likes of Disney, Marvel, LG, Sony, Facebook, Haya, Kawasaki, L'Oreal, Casio, Grab, Singtel, and more. And joining me on this episode to take us inside One Championship's commercial program is their Chief Commercial Officer, Hari Vijayharajan. I'm Daniel Oyston, and welcome to Episode 84 of Inside Sponsorship. It is great to have you listening to the show, especially as it kind of feels like we're starting to warm up the sponsorship industry once again. Talking about activity, boy, do we have some shout outs to get through in this episode. So cool. So first off is Richard S., director of Erupt in New York, who connected with me on LinkedIn and we chatted heaps about English football with some back and forth, but he did slip in there to keep up the good work with the podcast. Good man, Richard, and I look forward to Leeds v Man U next year in the Premier League. Next to connect with me on LinkedIn was Sarah Gagan from Core Sponsorship, that's Core with a C, who wrote, I just wanted to drop you a note as I've been back listening to the Inside Sponsorship podcast while I'm studying and completing assignments for the European Sponsorship Diploma. It's proving to be really helpful and adding a little something extra to my answers, so thank you. I've just listened to the podcast, quite possibly for the third or fourth time on athlete appearances and sponsorship, and I'm answering an assignment on brand ambassadors. So thanks, Sarah. That is super cool that the podcast is providing so much value for you. Really cool, really amazing, and thanks for connecting. 
James Gillette. James, I hope I've pronounced your last name correctly there. If not, my apologies. But James is the Global Partnerships Manager, Australia and New Zealand at Ultimate Fighting Championship. And he connected with me on LinkedIn as well and wrote, I'm a subscriber of the podcast and I've been an avid listener since about last October. And I've also been trying to catch up on some of the older episodes where I can. Thanks, James. And no doubt you'll be taking lots of notes during this episode. Next was Richard Burton, Senior Events Sales and Business Development Officer at the NHS Confederation in Leeds in England, who let me know he's finding the podcast interesting and useful in his role. Thanks for that, Robert. And last but not least is Luke Sands, Senior Executive Partnerships at Liverpool Football Club, who connected with me on LinkedIn and wrote, I must say thank you again because of your podcast, Inside Sponsorship. It has helped me develop and widen my knowledge of the sponsorship industry, which as an up-and-coming partnerships executive is something I really value. I graduated from university last year and have been a senior sponsorship executive at Liverpool Football Club ever since, and I listen to all the podcasts, and they have honestly rocketed my knowledge and confidence in partnership activation. That is so cool. That makes me feel super chuffed, Luke, but in all honesty, I just pulled the show together. So the real thanks must always go to the core team who contribute to the show with the blogs and having a chat about those and our amazing guests that find time in their super busy schedules to share so openly with us all. And clearly you, the listeners, really appreciate that. So five shout outs there. I think that is a record. And if you'd like to connect with me and say hi and get a shout out, just like these legends did, be sure to find me on LinkedIn. It is really great just to connect and and learn a little bit about you and just to say hi. So I suppose we better actually get on with some content, right? Well, before we hear from Hari at One Championship, Daniel Collier-Hill, Corps Commercial Director, APAC, joins us to discuss his latest blog titled What to Consider When Returning to Sell Sponsorship. Here's Daniel. Daniel, welcome to the show. While we're not quite in the clear yet, we are starting to see some really positive steps for the sporting industry as we start to move out of COVID-19. And we've seen some live sport returning, particularly the Bundesliga. There's dates for English football. There's dates for Australian rules football, the rugby league in Australia. Lots of positive paths for live sport to come back albeit without fans the nba doesn't sound as though it's too far away but in line with that and really positively for what we're here to talk about is that we've seen a few sponsorship deals announced over the past few days yeah it's been pretty exciting and there's lots of cool developments happening you know with without crowds Um, i'm fairly sure you'd be one of the people that spent $20 and bought yourself a cardboard cutout um, (laughs) to stick it at local games. But yeah, you're right. There's there's plenty of deals that are starting to happen again. Um, Besiktas and Beko, I I think I pronounced that right. Uh, Pringles and ESL, J-League and Meiji, you shoot a life insurance. And then Australia's very own South Sydney Rabbitohs and Menulog. So there's there's stuff starting to happen again. Um, But I guess as the rest of the, the sponsorship world, reads those media releases there's this looming question that's you know, really just when and how do we start selling sponsorship again how do, how do we begin to answer that <laughs> well J- jordan belford fans will tell you just pick up the phone and start dialing but i think we disagree with that or i disagree with it i should say and, and straight away you know we, we suggest the following Understand your cash position and how that's going to influence payment schedules. Understand that there's probably going to be some brands who just can't pay the bills. Perhaps this is where we test that term 
partnership and you know you really work out if there's any genuine budget relief items for you that they can provide in the short term and then also you know understand what you can and can't deliver with covid related restrictions uh, there's lots of things that you know that are really impacting whether it be event based engagement based activations all that kind of stuff but really you know aside from these which i'm sure most of our industries well and truly across by now there's two things that we need to consider before we start putting pressure on the sales team to start doing deals again, uh, albeit relevance and rate card analysis. Well, let's look at relevance first. Is it really as simple or, or just a matter of being more relevant in being able to help a brand than potentially the next property, whatever that is, whether it's TV or social or some other digital channel? Yeah, and, and look, that, I mean, at the end of the day, that question's probably how long's a piece of string, but you know, we've got to ask ourselves, why should a brand spend money on on us or, or you instead of a TV or a digital campaign right now, uh, given that you know, they're two mediums or forums that are, are getting the most amount of eyeballs and engagement um, at the moment. But uh, I guess now more than ever, brands are under immense pressure to not only justify their spend, but also ensure that their spend turns into actual business-related outcomes. Agencies off the back of this are also under pressure to justify their portion of that marketing spend on top of already trying to make meaningful impact on the overall strategy and execution. So, you know, it's that why you question that we've got to ask. Um, And if anyone's been watching Stephen Bartlett on LinkedIn or any of his content lately, it's because you're relevant, relevant to their audience, relevant to their new budgets, relevant to the way in which they want to market themselves. In essence, you're relevant because you can help them solve business problems or challenges. That's what we really need to get to. To influence purchasing behaviors towards their own products or services, brands need to be relevant to that consumer. And Yes, I've just twigged and I'm now super conscious of the amount of times that I've just said the word relevant. Uh, <laughs> well, ironically now, but... enough, it's a relevant word to use in the conversation. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to be able to use that word after uh, after this podcast. But anyway, you know, like, you know, we often talk about how sponsorship is all about delivering the right message at the right time on the right platform. And I think it's... it's got to be fair to say that this global pandemic has forced the bulk of the sporting world to really rehash or rethink how they directly engage with their owned audience. So going back to that relevance question, now is a really good time to survey and talk to fans, members, season ticket holders, or anyone who is actively on your database, asking questions about you know what's impacting them right now, what would they consider as their first big purchase after COVID, or even what haven't they been able to spend money on because of COVID? Um, these are all questions that brands are trying to reverse engineer themselves and solve business problems and also create insight for themselves. So why not do it yourself? Uh, you know, Align to a, a cultural cause, promote positive data about your engagement levels, or just do something that helps position you as the single most relevant property that a brand can choose to help reach and connect with a specific audience to deliver their message. Let's say we achieve that. We we do feel as though we are the relevant property or, or maybe one of the relevant properties that can help a brand reach and, and connect with that specific audience and, and deliver the message and, and help achieve their marketing goals and help solve their, their business problems. What sort of analysis should we be doing from there to set ourselves up for good conversations? So from a rights holder perspective, it's slightly different. And, and this is where we want to look at rate card analysis. Effectively, 
what we're selling, how much we're selling it for, why we're selling it, the margins that go back to the business and how that all gets communicated. There's a global agency, and, and I won't spoil the fun in naming them uh, their listeners so they can they can guess who they are and other people can as well, um, who are running a very clever yet really simple exercise to help clients understand their position. goes a little something like this, divide the contracted assets into two categories, immune and non-immune from COVID, from here, calculate the value and the hard costs associated with each to understand the position of risk and then what's available to adapt to the current market. I mean, it, it sounds quite simple when I say it like that, but rights holders need to think the same. They need to do the same if they're not already. Um, and, and reason being is that it's going to allow you to communicate back to the business your exact position. Nobody wants to be left with a million dollars in assets that can't be delivered, nor do they want to be left with you know a, a million bucks of assets that actually cost them a lot more to deliver anyway. Rate card analysis is by no means an easy thing to do. In some respect, it's what Core has built a product to do. It can be done with or without us, and that's not a cheesy product plug. Um, it's something that everyone can do. Sheer example, uh, grab a, an unglamorous Excel spreadsheet. List every asset that you sell, it's hard cost to deliver and then the current commercial value or, or margin you apply to it uh, in, a, in a sales proposal. If you can, categorize each asset into a range of asset types. Um, this will help you in the long term. Next, run a column adjacent to these categories and list whether it's an exposure or an engagement-based asset. The final step is to then list whether these assets have a fixed cost or a fluctuated cost based on demand. Once you've done that, and, and this really should take no more than, oh, I'm going to say 10, 15 minutes, maybe max half an hour. Um, but once you get to this, assets that have fixed costs are, are reasonably safe whereas assets that have fluctuating costs are definitely going to be at risk. Exposure-based assets are safe to a certain degree. Social and broadcast will soon become your best friend if they're not already. And then obviously engagement-based assets are at risk. And when I say at risk, this is not necessarily how we engage with them, but the level of engagement. Uh, if a brand has an activation at an event or a match day, the engagement that they're going to get is going to be completely different if that spend gets shifted to to online or a, or a social piece or, or branded content or whatever you come up with. But that whole exercise is about coming up with asset category types and then working out, you know, what's going to be affected and what's not going to be affected. It all sounds quite positive. I'm excited. It, it does. It does. And look, in, in, in a post-COVID world, you know, the, this exercise you know, really helps us navigate both new deals and renewals. It also helps guide how you price certain assets and how you communicate back to the business what your risk position is at any given point, whether we've got a global pandemic or not. Yeah, it's also important to remember that literally every rights holder on the planet is also awake at 11 o'clock trying to think of ways to reinvigorate their revenue. So you're not alone. The nice message at the end, sports returning, there might be plenty of changes. My beloved Broncos might not be winning, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. You had me at sport is returning. It's some great advice. And, and for want of a better phrase, as we wake up and we start to sell sponsorships again, I think this is a real opportunity for those at rights holders to, to reset 
and make sure they move into this new phase with best practice rather than just getting all excited and heading off to the races and falling into some of those bad habits again. So this is some great advice to help people reset and make sure that they move forward with good intent and best practice. So thank you for that. Listeners, if you want to read that blog in detail, word for word, just head along to coresoftware.com, head to the resources section and click the link for the blog. Now, Daniel, you are in Melbourne, Australia, one of the states in Australia that has been under fairly intense restrictions, but they're starting to ease. That's so a nice way of putting it. As, as people in and around Melbourne uh, are heading back to work and getting out and, and meeting people face-to-face, obviously with social distancing, what opportunities are there for people to grab a coffee or have a beer with you? Well, I would say that it's definitely highly likely uh, that as cafes and pubs open, uh, I think if, as soon as we can make a booking, let's do it. I think it's been maybe three months since I've been out and, and bought a beer or a coffee, so uh, I'm desperate for one. So anyone who's interested, yeah, just hit us up. We'll, we'll definitely try and get some get something in the diary before it starts raining and gets too cold <laughs> sounds good there you go listeners take him up on that if you're in and around melbourne thanks for joining us mate thanks daniel through the power of media the magic of storytelling and the beauty of their heroes one championship knows that they have a truly precious opportunity to celebrate values ignite dreams inspire nations and change the world. It has been an impressive rise for the Singapore-based One Championship, having launched in 2011 and reaching their 100th event inside eight years. It has also seen them grow to be Asia's largest global sports media company in history, with a global broadcast reach of 2.7 billion potential viewers across more than 150 countries. As the world's largest martial arts organization, One has achieved some of the highest TV ratings and social media engagement metrics across Asia. With a focus on both martial arts and esports, One Championship is Asia's largest global producer of live sports content for youth and millennials. And that success on a commercial front attracts a coveted client roster of blue chip Fortune 500 companies with some massive names like Disney, Marvel, LG, Sony, Facebook, Kawasaki, L'Oreal, Singtel, Casio, the list goes on. And joining me on this episode to take us inside One Championship's commercial program is their Group Chief Commercial Officer, Hari Vijay Harajan. Here's Hari. Hari, welcome to the show. We always start our interviews with a few icebreaker questions just to help the audience get to know you a little bit. And your first one is, which three fighters, past or present, whether they're part of the one championship or not, would you love to have over to your house for dinner and why? Hey, uh, Daniel, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. The question is interesting. One championship has over 600 athletes in our roster, so... I'd be very happy to pick uh, three of them from our own stable. Uh, the first one I'd go for is um, uh, you know Angela Lee. She's uh, young. She's 22, 23 years old. You know she lives in the U.S. but she competes uh, using the Singapore flag, given her Singaporean and Asian heritage. And um, she is amazing because she's um, you know not only stands up for a lot of women's issues, women's rights issues, such as gender disparity, income inequality, and and female empowerment. But she's uh, really just uh, an amazing human being, an ambassador of the sport, 
And she truly inspires little uh, girls around the world to overcome adversity and to become the best versions of themselves. And my two daughters are also, uh, you know, super excited. Uh, they're they're six and, and and four, and they're super excited whenever uh, you know I show them pictures of Angela when I tell them uh, this her story. She's uh, come through uh, you know uh, periods of adversity in her own life, from a car accident and so on. So I think it's really amazing to see. She's one of our highest paid athletes as well. She really walks the talk in terms of uh, glass ceilings and, and what have you. So. Uh, Angela is again, um, you know, would be one of my top choices. The second one I'd go for is um, Brandon Vera. Brandon Vera, uh, you know, is uh, again a Filipino hero. Again, an amazing, diverse background, growing up uh, in the U.S., working uh, in the U.S. Air Force as a wrestler, and you know, uh, being one of the amazing Filipino pride stories. He's also a, a complete gentleman outside the ring. You know, he speaks really well, eloquently. And uh, he really cares about humanity, about if you look at him on social media, he's a, he's a bit of a gentle giant, right? And so I, I think I'd love to have him for dinner and hear more about his, his background and, and his, his own story and life journey. He's also had several setbacks on his personal life and how he's overcome that. And he's a true champion. And I think Philippines, uh, you know, whenever he competes in the Philippines or even represents the Philippines in, let's say, Japan, where he did uh, 100th event, Again, people go crazy uh, back in the Philippines. I've never seen the stadium erupt like I see it when uh, Brandon competes and when Brandon speaks. And the third, I'd say, is Ongla Nsang, right? Now, Ongla, again, has a fascinating story. He's the only world champion that Myanmar has produced in any sport. And again, you know, three, four years ago, he was a nobody. He uh, was a beekeeper and a farmer by uh, training. His family fled from Myanmar from the Kachin state when they were young, and uh, now they're in Florida. Uh, but again, story of an immigrant, story of uh, being a beekeeper. And uh, three years ago, his fortunes changed when, you know, he uh, won against a gentleman called uh, Vitali Big Dash out in Myanmar. And that night, his fortunes changed in terms of the whole of Myanmar rallied around him. He had a 1 to 100 odds of beating Big Dash, and he did. And the whole nation erupted, you know, 15 million people in Myanmar. Next day, the Army, the Navy, the Air Force generals, Felicitated him. He's now the tourism ambassador of Myanmar. And literally, when he walks, there are 100,000 people following him, and he goes back to, to Myanmar. So, again, a true, um, true gentleman, true ambassador of the sport. And I think, uh, again, stands for things that are much bigger than himself in terms of world issues, in terms of what he's trying to do, promote equality, stop racism, and other things, right? So, I really uh, think, uh, you know, all these three examples are quite different in their own right. They're all united by a core set of great values, ones that we share and ones that they personify. And considering you're going to have people from so many different cultures, what are you going to serve for dinner? <laughs> I, you know, I think that's a nice part of uh, being in a country like Singapore, which is a melting pot of so many different cultures from around the world. So I guess, the uh, you know, I'd have to choose cuisine that uh, is popular out in Singapore you know, which is a mixture of, uh, you know, Chinese food, Malay food, and Indian food, because I think that's it's a confluence of these three cultures that truly epitomize Singapore and what Singapore stands for in terms of being a harmonious, multiracial society. Very good. That's a great answer. So your second icebreaker question is, if you weren't at the helm of the one championship commercial portfolio, which rights holder anywhere in the world would you love to be working at and why? 
that's a tough one because again i think one championship um, you know we're very excited to be again the number 4 sports media property right now in the world in terms of our online viewership uh, the three ahead of us are wwe nba and nfl now i've spent time in the us both watching nba games as well as nfl games i'm less close to the wwe but again we we we, we like to look at our the you know the, the properties ahead of us and be inspired by what they do so if i had to pick one i'd pick the nba just because you know i think there's a deep history and heritage in terms of how they built icons and role models i still use the phrase you know there's no michael jordan of xyz whether it's by esports property whether it's martial arts so i really think they've done a great job in terms of building icons of sport in general of course along with their partners along with broadcasters and uh, in terms of building role models and uh, you know inspiring millions tens of millions hundreds of millions of people around the world with what they created they also have a shared set of values we've seen how hard their players work and how they compete i think those are great values to impart on the younger generation we just saw the blast dance which is a breakout uh, documentary which has broken all records on espn and netflix it's just an amazing look back at how these icons were built and how that has set the stage for companies like us which are much younger born in the smartphone and digital era to look up to and emulate so i think it's true sportsmanship that the nba has got right and how they built icons on on a world stage that inspire me and and i think uh, would lo- would love to uh, you know to to be associated with them You mentioned there that you're now the number four sports media organization in the world behind the WWE, the NFL, and as you said, the NBA. Various news resources such as Forbes and CNN and Bloomberg have openly stated that one championship, while it's fourth in the world, is the largest sports media company in Asia and Asia's history. How do you begin to even... tell the story of something that is has grown so much in such a short period of time when we set out to do this uh, 9 years ago when our founder ceo chatri uh, set out to do this nowhere in our wildest dreams would we have imagined that this would be where we are in 2020 having said that i think again the from day one our business plan has always been produce content that ignites the world with hope strength dreams and inspiration and when you have that as a business plan in terms of what we are setting out to do every day why do we wake up in the morning every day it's to ignite that hope hope is such a, an intangible but it's so powerful and when you think of right now all the negativity in the world with covid with politics with you know how divisive societies are in general with how social media has fractured societies and what we are trying to do is bring people together we want to tell people that we are one and that's the hashtag we use also right we are one and when you think of what the genesis of that right focus on a core set of values like integrity respect discipline honor compassion courage humility focused on hero building and storytelling and bringing the world together as one now that is the essence of what we do now any fan wants to be a part of that any brand or sponsor wants to be a part of that and ultimately we want to touch everyone on the planet so our values heroes and stories is something that's infinitely scalable we don't appeal only to martial arts fans we don't appeal only to sports fans we appeal to humanity right chatri always says right our genre is martial arts but our platform is humanity 
And when you think of that, the numbers and all of that happens in the background and our growth happens in the background. But we are not resting, right? I mean, number four, number one, it doesn't matter to us. What we want to do is ultimately inspire every single person in the world because name one person in the world that doesn't need to be inspired. And so we won't stop until that's done. It's a compelling position to take and considering the the huge growth and what you have planned for the future, the focus on those values, the storytelling, the 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 igniting that hope and, and that you are one and inspiring the world. What sort of team do you have in place there to help you run your commercial operations and, and achieve some of those things? Yeah, I'm very proud uh, to have a very diverse team. You know, clearly in Asia, sports is still a very, very nascent industry. Sports marketing is a nascent business. So we've hired folks from all walks of life. You know, more than 50% of my team is women. So I'm really happy and proud about that stat. You know, again, you might think that, you know, sports business or a martial arts business is more male-dominated, either from a viewership standpoint or from an employee standpoint. So I'm glad to have broken all those myths. We have folks who are, you know, consultants, we are ex-consultants. We have folks from the startup space. Myself, uh, you know, came from an e-commerce company called Lazara, which is the Alibaba of Southeast Asia and Amazon before that. So we have folks who really understand how to problem solve, how to communicate our value proposition, and how to be inspired to take our mission forward every day. So... It's true when Chatri says he doesn't hire PhDs or MBAs, you know, on paper, he actually only hires a different kind of PhD, which is poor, hungry, and determined. And um, that's what I think we ultimately see as the fabric of the skill set that unites everyone in the company. Someone who's having this day one mindset, who has, uh, you know, the ability to, to think on their feet, to have a thick skin, because we get a ton of rejections every day but to not put our head down, right? We need to hold our head up high, continue to educate the world and the market on what we're doing, knowing that in the long term, things will be okay and things will work out like it has with other global media properties like the NBA and so on. But in this part of the world, we are getting started. So it's important to have that entrepreneurial mindset and it's important to use the power of data and the power of communication across an organization, internally, externally, across stakeholders to really communicate that value proposition in a very succinct manner. So I hardly have anyone on the team who comes from a traditional agency background or a media background. Those profiles, I would say, work great when you are a mature business in a mature region or country where sports is well-consumed. For us, we take the, you know, I, I put more, credence on having a startup uh, an entrepreneurial mindset with folks on my team i love that approach particularly the the hungry and the determined aspects of the the phd and because there is a strong sense of continual brand growth for one championship and i'm curious about how you're finding the response from brands especially considering your comment that sports marketing is still quite nascent in asia What's the response from brands at the moment in wanting to be part of the journey? Are they more traditionally focused on there's a there's big size and, and big engagement and, and big growth and it's more of that linear sort of uh, approach to accessing an audience or are they are they 
brands that are really on board with the values and the inspiration and what you're trying to do as an organization rather than what you're just trying to do commercially? When we set out to work with a partner, our partner sets out to work for you know with us. I think it's a it's a long term partnership that we always envision to strike from the get go. And if you think of the brands who currently work with us, I mean we're very humbled and proud to work with some of the world's largest or the region's largest brands, right? So whether it's uh, JBL, which is an audio partner of ours, uh, you know Harman Kardon, very very storied uh, company. Um, which is headquartered in the U.S., whether you have a Xiaomi, which is a mobile phone brand in China and headquartered in China, but really fully international, or a startup like Grab, which is Asia's biggest decacorn, right, value at close to $15 billion, or even a 100-plus-year-old company like a Unilever, BS Bank, which is Southeast Asia's largest bank, or even, you know, uh, in the automotive category, right, like traditional conservative Japanese brands, Mitsubishi, Toyota. I mean, it's really amazing to see the kind of brands that are partnering with us. And again, you won't see these brands typically partnering with someone like the UFC uh, because, again, the UFC has a different narrative. They've done a great job in the West catering to folks who like to see what they stand for. But, you know, the approach we take is, um, you know, much more inward focused. We, we really look at uh, inspiring folks. We look at what are the core set of values that martial arts teaches you, right? The values I mentioned at the start. Those are the values that a parent would want their children to absorb and imbibe. So success for us is really having, you know, a kid anywhere in the world putting up a poster of a one championship athlete, you know, as one of the heroes and role models. So when I was growing up, for example, when I was growing up in India, I would always have a poster of a Sachin Tendulkar, a cricket legend, right? Or a couple days, right? So the, these guys inspired me to work hard, to study hard. And I didn't want to become a cricketer, but I wanted to excel in life and, you know, do well in school and those things. And the, the, those stories got me there, right? Same thing, right? What we're trying to do is have these role models inspire kids around the world, inspire adults to overcome adversity and become the best version of themselves. So when you think of that as what we're solving, the numbers and the speeds and feeds and the metrics that agencies will look for, will look out for when they make a decision to work with us, that will take care of itself, and it has taken care of itself. I think brands really like being associated with a brand like ours, which has a higher purpose, which stands for excellence, which stands for integrity, which stands for doing the right thing. Of course, you know these are attributes that we rub off on them as well. We did a study with uh, Nielsen, one of our media uh, analytics partners, and we looked at, okay, with uh, Singtel, right, which is a 100-plus-year-old company, a telecom uh, company in Singapore, and with Grab, right, which is the leading white-hailing company out of Asia, what were the things that they got out of the sponsorship? And it was amazing to see the kind of attributes that we rubbed off on uh, Singtel and Grab, because these are both very, very <laughs> well-known brands, but the, each of them was, try- was facing a challenge of a different kind. Singtel was kind of facing this challenge of, hey, we're a, old company, you know, we appeal to the older generation of people. Uh, they really wanted to be, uh, wanted to appeal to the cool, hip, young millennial and Gen Z audience. And that's what we do. And that's what we rubbed off on a thing tell when they worked with us through activation, not via logo slapping and so on. That's not what we do. We really aim to create amazing stories and content using our IP that we then cascade and distribute to the hundreds of millions of people at scale. And so when we do that, a brand automatically becomes are cool, becomes hip, stands for excellence, 
stands for, all the values we stand for. And that is the intangible, right? So typically when you look at a media sponsorship, a brand typically in Southeast Asia gets between two to four X ROI. When you just look at pure media um, ROI. And so this is quite similar to when someone sponsors, let's say a local Philippine basketball uh, league. And I know these numbers because they, I, I, I've seen that. Or someone works with uh, Facebook or Google or even a print or a newspaper. But when they work with us, they get this addition, not just do they get the media exposure, they get this additional 3 to 4x and ROI from these intangibles and these attributes were above. So the end result is like a 7 to 8x ROI, which is far and above what they would get just by working with a media partner. And so that's the, you know, when, when you look at that being the value we uh, the intangibles. Like when someone works with a billboard or newspaper, they don't. There's no values that rub off on the brand, right? For us, it's that intangible, those uh, those attributes that really rub off and are measured by post uh, sponsorship activation surveys and so on. We can actually capture the data. You know, it's not like we're making assumptions, and we ca- capture that time and time again to get a seven eight x ROI. That is truly what we're proud about, because the brand, the one brand, stands for so many great things. And our goal over time is to work with all these amazing partners and rub off a little bit of, uh, you know, pixie dust, if you will, on them to to make them win as well. I'm sure it's very attractive to brands. So I'm curious to know whether, considering you've got the intangibles that you spoke about and and you really focus on on the values and, and the lessons that martial arts teachers and the higher purpose of the one championship brand overall do you get the impression when you're when you're talking to brands in those initial stages that they find your focus and approach and and what you stand for really refreshing compared to what many other rights holders would traditionally lead with when you spoke about it in your answer before around the ROI and the numbers and the reach of their audiences. They're more about here's here's just the straight path. Here's what we can give you access to. But you're talking such a bigger picture. Do you find that brands really respond to that and, and find it refreshing? They do. The one feedback that we consistently get across the board whether brands work with us or not, right, when we do these amazing set of meetings around the region, around the world, is how unique the value proposition is. And so we're glad to hear that. We're glad in just nine years, we've been able to develop a value proposition that is very, very different either from a local sports media property, a local league, for example, or a global one, like even the NBA. So we've talked to several partners, right? And so I think the big issue that exists out there with traditional larger sports media properties from the West is for a sponsor to be able to do a proper 360 degree activation, you need to work with the team, you need to work with the individual player, you need to work with the rights holder, you may need to work with the broadcaster. And so these are all fractured and independent conversations that need to be had. And really, I think the question of IP ownership is truly hard to to measure and truly hard to even access. The refresh we've hit with with our offering is that a brand can work with us either in a country, either around the region, or either around the world or around the world, right? Because we're the broadcast in 150 plus countries. A brand can get access to our one championship athletes because they're employed by one championship. They're part of the IP that a brand can use. And, you know, a brand doesn't have to talk to an athlete's manager. We take care of that, right? It's the same individual who does the deal, brokers the commercial arrangement with the athlete. And third is we have 
our own massive distribution, right? We, we broadcast on all free-to-air channels, you know, in 150 countries. We're also broadcast on OTT platforms, on social media. We have 370 million monthly unique viewers just on Facebook alone. And that massive distribution is also very valuable to a sponsor, right? So and then you, um, the, the content production, right? So when we do create amazing pieces of content with our athletes, whether it's Long Lao, Brandon Vera, Angela Lee, that also gets done in many cases in-house by our local, uh, in a very localized way by our production team. Because our production team understands what our fans want to see. Our fans don't want to see ads. Again, the millennial and Gen Z audience is so, I mean, in many ways, they, their attention span is so small. They don't want to be sold to, but they want to support causes. They want to support mission-driven organizations. They want to stand for something today. And that's what we see going on all around the world. There are movements going on all around the world, exactly what we see going on in the U.S. right now, for example. And so when we are able to create those narratives for a brand using our IP in a kind of one-stop shop manner, and we are able to distribute that at scale, and we are able to trigger passion points in fans, that is the gold standard, right? Which I, I guess not many others have cracked. So it is incredibly hard to do. It's not like someone else can come and copy that. It's incredibly hard to to build this one-stop shop as a platform. But uh, we've done that, and that's what our partners and sponsors, the names I kind of gave you were just a small sample, but they're marquee names that we're happy to be associated with. And, you know, we're, we're happy that, uh, JBL works with us, similar to how they work with the NBA. And so in many ways, we're happy to have arrived at that point where in nine years, we are, you know, in some cases, we've looked at neck and neck with other big giants like the NBA. And in some cases, we've surpassed the reach frequency and engagement of a Formula One, which has been around for 70 plus years. And so, again, we still have a day one mentality. We're not getting complacent about it, but I think in terms of the value that we bring, you know, one is, uh, you know, we measure everything. We're very data-driven. We can tell a brand X percent of our audience uses or will consider using your product or has used your product in the last 30 days or uses the category of product. So, you know, we, we're really able to go into the nitty-gritty and, and talk about the relevance of our fan base. I think what historically has happened and how the kind of the sports media industry has evolved is, hey, you've got a great logo, we've got a great, you know, just stick, uh, rubber stamp the logo on, onto a canvas, rubber stamp the logo onto a basketball court. That's not what we want to do. We want to create, uh, ultimately, we are a content business. Uh, we are a media business. We are now Asia's largest content creator for Gen Z and millennials in sports, esports, and now reality TV. We are doing things like The Apprentice. So, you know, sky's the limit. You know, ultimately, content is king and uh, stories are what everyone wants to hear. I'm going to come back to those points about the, the content later on. You said that one of the great pieces of feedback you receive from brands is how unique you are, but and you rightly said it is it can be hard to copy, but it can also be hard to stay unique and, and even relevant for a very long period of time, particularly as people evolve and markets evolve. But from the outside, one championship's commercial portfolio, the team, its capabilities, they all appear to be constantly evolving and that is something that you're committed to. So whether it's commercial products or, or services or, or live events, how important do you think constantly evolving is in terms of what you can offer sponsors and being able to maintain your uniqueness for them? 
Change is the only constant. We live uh, and breathe that every day in our commercial team. If you just asked me 12 months ago, the kind of offerings we had or what we were trying to go to market with and what we have today and what we're going to market with, it's, it's night and day and it's improved. So one is we have this constant, uh, continuous improvement mindset, right? We, we always want to learn. We always want to uh, look at the data. We want to understand what we can tweak, what we can refine, what additional products and services can we carve out and create. I'll give you an example. You know, about 12 months ago, I thought about, you know, the landscape of media conferences that happen out in Asia. And I was thinking through it. And I said, hey, there's no real pan-Asian uh, thought leadership conference around the future of sports or sports in a country. And, uh, you know, what's the best way for us to educate CMOs and decision makers around the region at scale? And so I came up with this concept called One Ignite, right? So it's one colon Ignite. It started off as a monthly conference we'd have in um, you know, a fairly large venue that seated maybe three, 400 people. We'd work with a media partner, i.e. a broadcaster or a, a social media partner and a media agency, right? An Omnicom, or OMD, or Dentsu. Invite the Rolodexes of both these partners, invite their own Rolodex and get, you know, at the end of the day, about three, 400 people showing up for three, four hours, you know, on any given day. And uh, we'd have an amazing keynote by Chatri. We'd have panelists from different sports either entities, i.e. other sports, local sports media properties. Uh, we'd have athletes. We'd have folks from the agency. We'd have folks from the broadcast. And you know, it would just be a very robust uh, you know, three-hour session where the attendees could learn a lot about sport. And um, you know, I, I initially started that as a way to educate the market. And guess what? Now we've got several brands you know, who cater to high net worth individuals. One example, a case in point, is a company called Lou, Lou Global. Now, Lou Global is part of Ping An Group, which is a very, very, it's one of the top 10 companies in the world by market capitalization. It's out of China. Now, their business is a wealth management business, and they cater to folks who make above a certain amount of money every year. But guess what? I've got those 400 people coming every month to my conferences. So what we said is, hey, we didn't have a way to tap into high net worth individuals before at scale in the regular cadence. Now we've got a conference, and guess what? I'll, apart from giving Lou Global some amazing entitlements on the One Championship Sports Media uh, asset, which goes on live TV and so on, here I have a conference that I set up selfishly to educate the market, but I can also monetize that, right? Because there's this amazing captive audience that a company would want to access. Same thing, a Porsche, a BMW, they want to sell to these uh, big wigs. And so we've got them all in one place. Uh, Tumi as well is a, is a partner of ours that, of course, makes luggage and, you know, it's in the travel industry. And uh, we roll out amazing case studies. So Tumi actually built a video with us and our one esports, uh, one of the teams that we partner with called Team Secret. Now, that video organically got four or five million views. Actually, I want to say it's seven million views by now, seven million views. Now, for one single video done just just once and posted once. It got 7 million views. Now, the largest engagement that Tumi had in the history of the whole company prior to that was 200,000 views on a video they did with Chris Pratt, who's a Hollywood legend. And so it's just amazing to see, right? The content we produce is of such quality and it tells such a deep story 
that you know we're able to deliver things for our partners. And so again, that story of that video needed to be told to other CMOs and CEOs. And so that we we got their guys to come over and talk as a panelist at One Ignite. But it's really amazing to see how we use and we create offerings. Another example is JBL, our audio partner. We never used to monetize our after parties, right? Again, you might say after parties, at the end of every martial arts match, we would have an after party for attendees, for our sponsors and so on. But guess what? JBL, because they're in the headphone business, the audio business, they wanted to work with us to team out the after party uh, in JBL colors. They wanted to host the VVIP boxes where the, the you know the high net worth individuals would part, uh, party. They wanted to sponsor our ringers because one of uh, one of them was a DJ. So it, it, we just created a set of entitlements from nothing again, right? So again, I think constantly thinking out of the box like this to be able to meet several unmet needs that brands don't have access to in other media properties or even being entrepreneurial and savvy and saying, hey, I think this is a great, uh, great fit for your brand. Let's see what we can manufacture outside of the core entitlements that one would receive is, is something that we put our minds to every day. And so that's why we've been able to get the, the partners we have, which is a very unique set of partners because we're solving unmet needs and we're bringing to them things that they've never seen before. It is a unique set of partners. You've mentioned lots of them already and a very coveted partnership roster because it's also includes or, or has included worldwide brands like Disney and Marvel, LG, Hugo Boss, Sony, L'Oreal, loads of those that you mentioned. There's probably loads more that you haven't mentioned, but and it is unique and it is diverse and some of them are focusing on certain areas of the world. Some of them are focusing worldwide. Is there a sponsorship or a partnership that really stands out for you as being really special? And if so, why? Again, every sponsorship and partnership is, is very special to us. And, uh, you know, every partner or sponsor has a unique problem to solve. You know, I'd like to say, the, you know, maybe I'll call out two. First one is uh, we're very proud of the work we've done with Grab, right, which is the Uber of Southeast Asia. Uh, again, Grab came to us in a situation where there was intense competitive dynamics with a rival Gojek, right, which is out of Indonesia and also a Southeast Asian ride-hailing and food delivery partner. At the point that, uh, that they came to us, uh, you know, their offices were, were, were kind of being stoned by the drivers because, you know, they removed some incentives for the drivers and, and so on. So Grab's mission was how does uh, one championship make Grab loved by its drivers? And therefore, how does our fans who watch the content of the matches that Grab sponsors, how do they also feel that Grab is taking care of the drivers because a happy driver means a faster and safer ride. It means hotter food that's delivered to you and so on, right? So it was a complex thing to solve and we had to solve it in, in various um, you know, detailed ways. I think a couple of things, um, when we did a story, um, again, for us, it was not really about saying, putting an ad out there saying, hey, download the Grab app. That's what Google and Facebook uh, do and that's what performance marketers care about. But the story we wanted to tell with one of the activations we did was about a young Filipino boy now, this story is set in the Philippines. It's an actual piece of content we, we put out there on social media and viral. But the story is out of the 15,000, 20,000 Grab drivers in the Philippines went and scouted with Grab's help one of the families, right, of one of the drivers. It's an authentic story where the kid is an 11-year-old boy. He's a fan of martial arts. He's actually a karate champion. And his father loved one championship. In the Philippines, they really love one and they love our athletes. 
And so this father, the story we told in that video was uh, he's driving, you know, 15, 18 hours a day sometimes, putting food on the table for his kid, sending his kid for karate lessons. His kid has now grown up. He's representing a school, representing uh, now even the Philippines in some junior tournaments. And he only wants to give back to his father, who's made all these sacrifices, right, to put food on the table as a driver. And uh, what the kid does is, unbeknownst to the father, arranges a surprise secret meetup for the father to meet the one championship athletes, you know, at a surprise location. The father thinks he's going to 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 just get a routine checkup for his car. And, you know, surprise, surprise, the athletes show up, they hug, chairs roll down the dad's eyes, and he can't believe what his son just did for him. And that content is short. It, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it gives you goosebumps. And uh, that content is then not only put on social media, but Grab does an event in the Philippines called National, uh, Four National Heroes Day. It's the 26th of August. I, I, it's very vivid in my mind. 26th of August is National Heroes Day in the Philippines, where they celebrate the heroes in society. And so what we, uh, what we work with Grab on is get the 20,000 drivers and their families, right? So the stadium can probably hold 30,000, 40,000 people. Let's get the wives, get the kids. Celebrate the everyday heroes that Grab has on the roads. We played this video that we did with the kid, his father, the crying and all that. Every driver in that stadium wanted to be like that driver. They were inspired. They were motivated. They wanted to give their 1,000%. Because of, obviously, we recognize this one family, but everyone has their own stories. And uh, at the end of the day, we got our one championship athletes to come. Uh, that was a surprise element. On stage, the drivers went berserk. They completely loved what they were seeing. And to top it all off, we got the, the, the number one hero of the Philippines, Senator Manny Pacquiao, right? The boxing legend. Uh, he also came to the stadium. People saw him in the flesh. Uh, once in a lifetime experience for many people in that stadium that money can't buy. And so you could have just seen the excitement and emotion, people choking up. All of that was captured, was filmed, made into beautiful a few pieces of content. We ran a campaign around it to talk about everyday heroes that people had generally seen in life, our fans across uh, all walks of life. And the winner was flown to Tokyo for the 100th event where they saw Brandon Vera compete with Ong Lao. So again, a massive, massive... And then Grab, therefore, wanted to work with us. They were so successful. They wanted to work with us on other verticals like Grab Food. And we did amazing, cool stuff with Grab Food, with Brandon Vera, the athlete I just mentioned. Grab saw... 45% uptick in sales at the end of that Grab Food campaign with Brandon, right? So we started doing more and more of Grab. And so the success for us is really, again, it spawns in, 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 in at point A and goes uh, to point B. And again, we follow the direction of travel and the journey for us is more interesting than the destination. But I think this story is just the story of how we aim to impact our partners and, and how we aim to, um, you know, d- deliver impact. The second one was the Tumi one. I kind of alluded to that earlier. Tumi started with us on eSports. They loved this video we did. It's got 7 million views. It got global attention with the global CEO of Tumi. And now we're having uh, the Asia G- GM of Tumi starring as uh, one of the guest judges on The Apprentice, one championship edition, right? So they started in one content stack. They're coming into another content stack. Uh, Grab was an example of starting in one vertical, which is right hailing, going into another vertical, but within the martial arts content stack. So many such permutations and combinations are possible. And ultimately, uh, again, in this environment, partners will only do more with us if they see value because cash is king in this environment and all marketers are under pressure. So we're super happy to to be able to continue doing deals with large brands 
and uh, upselling uh, brands who are already with us, you know, because they just see the value we, we drive. I love that example of grab it, it. It really gets people at an emotional level. You've mentioned a couple of times about The Apprentice. Let's move to that now. It's a reality TV show with a sports twist, a mammoth $250,000 in prize money and an opportunity to work under the mentorship of Chatry. Thinking about their own careers, every sporting professional would get a huge kick out of watching this show. How did the strategy come about to actually start the show and put the resources into it? And and how do you use it to ultimately leverage the One Championship brand, but but to really bring in sponsors and partners to be part of The Apprentice? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's in line with the innovation and evolution um, question we discussed um, maybe 10 minutes ago. But, you know, three months ago, if you asked me, you know, what's one next, the next trick we're pulling out of the hat, I wouldn't have guessed it was The Apprentice. But it so happened right about three months ago, around the March, uh, February, March timeframe, MGM Studios uh, randomly, uh, you know, pinged Chatri and said, hey, Chatri, we'd like to bring the largest reality show for the last 15 years in Europe and in the U.S. We'd really like to make that huge and explode in Asia. And uh, they have scoured uh, Asia to find, okay, who's really capable and who's got the personality and the dynamism to be a host? Because as we all know, The Apprentice, a lot of it rides on the host. And uh, I think that's how The Apprentice shot to fame uh, with the uh, with the current, uh, uh, with, with one of the first judges now in public office, right, in the U.S. But, you know, what I say is that, you know, we were super excited uh, when we heard that, uh, that, say, you know, Chatri has been chosen to be the next host. And uh, we were actually, you know, quite dumbfounded because we never anticipated getting into reality TV because we've never done real, you know, business lifestyle kind of content before. But then when we talked more about it, we said, hey, this is a great opportunity. We've got massive reach frequency and engagement, not just in Asia, but globally. We stand for, you know, values, hero building and storytelling. There's a clear element of that in The Apprentice as well that we can bring. We can bring the one championship coolness and the hip vibe we have with the Gen Z and millennials in Asia. And we can really commercialize it because guess what? All brands want to find new innovative ways to engage the Gen Z and millennial audience who are either the current or future customers. So when we really thought about that and we said, how can we make this different, right? We're not really just taking the apprentice and doing a Me Too product. We really want to, you know, make this completely bar none, the best apprentice that's ever been and the best and biggest reality show out of Asia. So there's a few things we're adding for the first time. The ability for a celebrity or a guest judge to be on the show and judge a branded business challenge. So for example, I mentioned Tumi earlier, the VP of Asia for Tumi. He's coming on the show as a guest judge. And he is using that as a platform to talk a little bit directly to uh, customers, directly to fans, uh, which we expect to be north of 50 million watching it, about sustainability. And he cares about sustainability because he, as a longtime Tumi executive, has pioneered and championed sustainability for the group, not just for Asia. So what I mean by that is he goes around and looks at, you know, various ways in which Tumi can design reusable, uh, recyclable bags using ocean plastic and recover ocean plastic. Now, that's a big thing. It's something that resonates with young people. It's something that Tumi needs to get the word out that they're doing some great work reclaiming 
ocean plastic and creating that into amazing to me bag. Now, so he's using the platform to communicate that. We're doing a branded challenge for Tumi around creating an amazing esports and gaming bag because they're getting into esports in a big, big way. They're already a partner in one esports, so we're using the business challenge to design it, create a go-to-market strategy, do a focus group. There's some very cool things that you'll see. And when the episode airs, it'll actually go on sale. So there'll be massive buzz, um, you know, the, the night it's aired. And then the next day or the same night, it'll be available for sale on e-commerce platforms and retail stores. So the, uh, think, just thinking through how to marry, uh, you know, a guest CEO on the show, a business challenge, which a lot of people are familiar with already from the old versions of Apprentice. But also we're bringing our martial arts world champions on every episode. So in every episode, we'll have a physical challenge as well. Because we feel that, again, today, any business executive running a, you know, running a multi-billion dollar startup or a Fortune 500 company not just needs to have you know, a mental, um, I guess, horsepower, but also, I guess, be physically fit and, and, and have physical well-being in mind. So we have a physical challenge as well, which is going to be judged by a world champion, Labir and Angla or Brandon Vera or Angela Lee. And we're going to have the, the business challenge judged by Chatri as well as the uh, the sponsor's uh, executive or CEO. So uh, that's uh, very interesting for us. And we're going to promote all this, of course, on our One Championship Martial Arts um, channels. So it's going to have tremendous buzz. Uh, it's going to already leverage the footprint that we have broadcast in uh, you know several countries, the 25 million followers that we have on social media, and so on and so forth. So it's not just a new reality show. It is a Barnan going to be the biggest apprentice and the biggest uh, business reality show in Asia but also leverage the startup and sports spin that we are known for. And, uh, you know, I think that's why we're super excited. Yeah, it is exciting. And I think it's a great opportunity to take your fans and your followers and the community even deeper into the fabric of what makes one championship truly unique. And you talked about the bags and, and sustainability and things like that. So there's a fantastic opportunity there. You mentioned it before, content is king. It's a broadly accepted phrase in the world, content is king. And you and the team really live by this. You've spoken about it lots already, creating social content and documentaries, the esports tournaments, The Apprentice, the reality TV show. You've got podcasts. You've obviously got the the live MMA events, and, and that's all distributed across multiple channels. Is the absolute sheer volume, the sheer amount of content, has that always been something that the brand was heading towards? It was always part of the strategy, i.e. if we build it, they will come? Or has it been more of a natural evolution and, and a response to what the market wants and, and their thirst for content? I think it's uh, it's a bit of both, right? I mean, if we were to say we had a crystal ball back in 2011 and had it all figured out, uh, that would be a lie. I think we we kind of in the first few years really tested what the market wanted. Right in the first first few years, we did a couple of events a year, four events a year, five events a year, and you know I think had we not looked at content being the strategy and looked at events being the strategy, we would have been labeled as an event company. And hey, one championship does events four or five times a year, maybe even twenty times a year. But guess what? Between that, there's nothing, and there's no way for people to get entertained. What we really strived for, and we saw this pick up really in 2016 and and beyond. We wanted to strive to be an always-on platform where fans could engage with their heroes. We could tell their stories, and we would have engagement on an always-on basis, right? So whether the match happened every two or three weeks, that was great because it would drive buzz, it would drive competition, it would drive 
for geeks and fans at the leaderboards, right? But what we really wanted is to, again, not just appeal to the hardcore martial arts fan. We wanted to appeal to, again, right, the the platform is humanity, right? When you said that the genre is martial arts, platform is humanity. We wanted to uh, make this much wider, right? And so he, he, storytelling, value series and story, storytelling and content is therefore from day one in our business plan. There's something we wanted to embrace. Now, we executed well on that, I'd say, uh, and got picked up and we saw a lot of traction 2015, 2016 and beyond because this was the time smartphones were extremely popular or being sold in Asia. And I saw that firsthand when I was part of Lazada Group and Alibaba Group. Uh, you know, we were selling tens of millions of smartphones every year in, in Southeast Asia. That's when social media was really uh, on the uptick in Asia, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube. And again, those are all content platforms. And also we saw, um, you know, the advent of uh, 4G networks and so on, which made consuming bite-sized content on the road when people are traveling for work and traffic jams and so on, because that's what Asia, a lot of that happens every day, right? People want to, sitting on, in, in, in a bus, going to work, now they want to see something to be entertained. And our videos are so bite-sized, you know, within five, 10 minutes, there's a result, right? Or there's a story that can be told. And so the confluence of these three things really made the content is key kind of strategy really explode and, and really bring it to life. So while it was always part of the plan, I think the execution and the way it picked up uh, really accelerated uh, from 2016 onwards. And that's why we are where we are today on the Tubular Report being number four in terms of online viewership. Working together, true partnerships in sponsorship does really provide a lot of power for both the rights holder and the brand when they, they work together as one. And it's a little bit hard to avoid at the moment, but I do want to talk post-COVID-19 for a moment. So I've got two questions for you on the topic. The first one is, considering you you get brands to buy into your vision, which is, is much less around the reach and the engagement and the ROI and the much bigger ethos of what you're trying to achieve and inspire people with, how does one championship at the moment use its sponsorship and marketing assets because it is a change we do have to do things a little bit differently so how do you use your sponsorship and marketing assets to make sure that you come out of this COVID-19 situation still in a really really strong position yeah I think COVID-19 you know um, it's, it's, it's a really unfortunate thing that has happened all around the world for us for other media properties and for humanity in general right we see uh, millions of people suffering. We see companies going bankrupt. It's really an unfortunate thing. However, I think when when you you know when when we put the, the, the suffering and and all of this aside, the negativity, we also look at it as an opportunity. And I think the way we look at it as an opportunity and how we're executing on that is again, if you think of us being a content business, a media business, IP business, there's still a lot of things we can do with our partners and for our fans that can go on. The show can go on. And the show has gone on. Uh, the last physical live event we did for our martial arts content stack was the 28th of February. That was done behind closed doors in Singapore. And, you know, and not surprisingly, it had one of the highest viewerships of all time because people were already starting to be at home, quarantined, and so on. In fact, just in China, we saw viewership go up 3 to 4x between the January to March period because folks are quarantined and there was no live sports happening in any part of the world. So even when we were doing closed door events in February in Philippines and in Indonesia and in Singapore, we saw content spiking like crazy all over the world because everyone else had stopped but it was still going on even though behind closed doors. Now, 
closed doors, unfortunately, events had to stop because then every country started raising borders, couldn't fly in athletes, it became logistically impossible. So for the last few months, we've been on a bit of a moratorium and a pause. We hope to come back soon on the martial arts side. But what we've had so, uh, you know, in, in the interim, because we still had to execute for our partners and our sponsors. We still had to sell products to uh, uh, fans and, and, and you know, uh, continue to drive business. We uh, immediately pivoted on looking at what are the, uh, you know, pieces of content that are going on on always on everyday basis. What are some of the new mini content stacks we can spawn quickly? An example of that is Rich Franklin. He can't do his One Warrior series shows anymore because of the travel restrictions. So he immediately pivoted to uh, doing a podcast called Franklin Speaking. So, you know, that is a, like a, you know, a podcast that uh, goes out every week, every 10 days. And he interviews people from all walks of life, from sports, from business, and so on. So that became an example of something we started to give our partners as Make Good because we had to miss out on some of the live entitlements. Uh, we also had a ton of shoulder content that was going out, a top 100 fights, you know, uh, one from the archives, a weekly uh, kind of show and rundown of some of the top uh, you know, sets of action. And so we started putting a lot of our sponsors who had purchased live entitlements onto the shoulder content entitlements. The fans and the partners were very, very happy with that because in many instances, they got uh, benefit from a ton of organic viewership rise, right? So the last three months, you know, the, the viewership on our shoulder content has been at a tremendous high because, again, I said people are staying at home. They want to watch inspirational content uh, because there's so much negativity around. And our social media and our shoulder content really drives that. So even though our partners, of course, were a little bummed that they couldn't get the live entitlements because they're not doing matches, we immediately pivoted to the always-on content stream that was flowing on an everyday basis. And so this became super exciting for them. We also started doing new pieces of content, for example, stay-at-home videos. Uh, athletes sitting at home, encouraging people to stay at home, but still keep fit, keep healthy. We did the One World Together at Home concert that we showed on all of our Facebook as well as on our app uh, in partnership with Global Citizen. This was in the middle of April, which Lady Gaga got all the, the best musicians from around the world to do you know, songs from, from, her, from their homes. And we broadcast that. And of course, we helped contribute to raising a ton of money for COVID-19 relief efforts and so on. So all of this is great content, different genres of content. Some of it is shoulder content from the, you know, rehashing old matches. Some of it is new stuff like Franklin speaking, uh, stay-at-home videos for, for athletes. And so we've always been innovating and we've continued to deliver on this entitlement. So if partners are happy because they're seeing a rise in viewership, then what was contracted because people are sitting at home and watching the content, even if it's not live, and the show goes on. Right. And so, but we're also excited that we've also got something like One Esports, which, um, you know, the good news about esports is you don't need to build stadiums. You don't need to have people fly in. Uh, we're doing actually in two weeks the first ever Dota 2 Southeast Asia League, the Pro League, which will feature some of the best teams from Southeast Asia. And, um, you know, uh, we didn't have this product uh, a month ago. But we came up with something which gamers and teams can sit at home and play and still compete. And we're doing this tournament over six weeks. So it's starting on the 4th of June, later this week, as qualifiers. And we do the round-robin tournament starting the 18th of June and goes all the way to the 19th of July. So this, again, is great for partners like JBL, for Tumi, because they can continue to activate 
and uh, guess what esports is is also a hot craze right now right gaming is also going through the roof right now because people are sitting at home and gaming so we're capitalizing on trends of increased content viewership and capitalizing on trends of increased gaming organically to continue to deliver outsized value for our partners but we're just innovating yes unfortunately our dota 2 major had to be canceled in singapore because that involved flying international teams who couldn't fly but for the that's why we had a lighter version which is a southeast asia version but we didn't need any flying because everyone is on the same server and can play from home so we look at various scenarios to continue to deliver for our fans and partners it may not be plan a but plan b in many instances has proven to be better than plan a harry it would be hard to find a right holder who is better than one championship in terms of, of of innovation and especially during a high growth period as well. So secondly, around COVID-19, what advice would you give to other rights holders, those people that are listening to the show right now, anywhere in the world who who want to try and innovate but also remain stable in, in what is, it's a challenging time. So their bosses might not be that keen for them to innovate what advice have you got for them? So I think we've been uh, incredibly fortunate to have a business model that is extremely asset light and IP heavy. And that has set us up for you know what we're doing right now in terms of innovation and in terms of pivoting as needed. I don't know what how other media rights holders are structured, but if you are asset light, I think it's a great vantage point for you to innovate because... You know, I'm one of those who believe, like some of our investors, like Sequoia Capital and so on, that we're in this for the long haul. Like COVID-19 is not going away anytime soon, nor is life coming back to normal anytime soon, right? This could last for another two years, three years. And so we're in this world where, you know, the sooner the better in terms of innovating, it could lead to uh, something more drastic, right? And so I think I think the time is now. I think it's still early. Try to figure out, if you're not asset light, how you can become asset light as a business model. And then really, really focus on conserving cash and, um, you know, riding out the storm and try to find ways which ultimately solve a problem and solve an unmet need. I think if you start with that and work backwards and then layer that on top of an asset light business model, I think magic can happen and uh, you will survive and, and you will thrive at the end of this. Hari. An amazing chat. So many great examples, great insights. If people want to learn more about One Championship or connect with you and, and maybe keep the conversation going, what can they do? First, I think it's great to follow One Championship on social media. Um, you, know, you can just type that on, onto your Facebook search bar, uh, to find us on LinkedIn. I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's always a great hub of information and content. Secondly, if you want to hear from me, I'm happy to, uh, again, connect with any of you guys on LinkedIn. It's a platform I, I use quite frequently. I post quite quite often. Yeah, I'm happy to, to share anything uh, I can about the company, but uh, I'm sure you'll get a lot of updates when you, when you follow us on social media. Hari Vijay Arajan, Group Chief Commercial Officer at One Championship. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I know you're a busy man and taking us inside the commercial program of One Championship. Thanks so much, Daniel. Pleasure pleasure to be here and uh, good luck with everything. I am blown away by the generosity in the detail and the length and the passion of Hari's answers. It was truly amazing. It is 
a fascinating combination of a product that has really struck a chord with the market, grown immensely in a short period of time, really making every post a winner and taking a values-led approach to all that they do really does now give them the ability to work in real partnership with their sponsors. So no doubt, if you are like me, there was plenty to take away and digest and apply from that chat with Hari. As Hari mentioned, you can learn more about One Championship at onefc.com or connect with Hari on LinkedIn. Just search for Hari, that's H-A-R-I, Vijay Arajan, that's V-I-J-A-Y-A-R-A-J-A-N, or head to the show notes at coresoftware.com for the links. That's a wrap for episode 84. Thank you so much for joining me and a reminder to get in contact and drop me a line and say hi and get a shout out on the show just like the legends, Sarah, Richard, Luke, James and Robert. I would love to hear from you. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. And if you do, as I said, I'll make sure I give you a shout out just like I did for everybody else. And if you want to connect with Core Software's commercial director, APAC, Daniel Collier-Hill, you can catch him on Daniel.Collier, C-O double l-i-e-r at coresoftware.com or search for him on linkedin as well until next time i'm daniel oyston thanks for listening to inside sponsorship thanks for listening to the show for more episodes and to subscribe to the show search for inside sponsorship on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts also, for more free industry specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn. <laughs>